Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This week's episode of Enough About Me is brought to you by Milton's The Store for Men. If you're planning a trip down the aisle like I am, Dana Katz and his team at Milton's will outfit all the guys in a great suit or tux. Choose from top designer styles in the latest colors and price ranges. And with Milton's buy one, get one free suit sale, it makes much more sense to buy than rent. To make an appointment with one of their experts, call or email wedding at miltons.com. At Milton's, you'll be as comfortable in our stores as you'll be in our clothes. South Shore Plaza, Braintree, and Chestnut Hill Square, Chestnut Hill. Milton's, the store for men. So the process for this is, this is not an ESPN production, right? This is your your company, and you, you pitch ESPN on this idea? Is that how it works? Do they come to you? you? Usually, I pitch them. This one, they came to me. Okay. And was this something that appealed to you at all? You grew up in New York, right? But still, I'm guessing, I mean, given, you know, your Yeah, age. well, the thing is, uh, Jim Potter, it's the director, and right. I both started at NBA Entertainment in 1985, and our first big gig was serving as associate producers for in 1987, he was embedded with the Celtics, and I was embedded with the Lakers for their year-end films. So, kind of coming full circle for us. So it was very, very interesting and and satisfying to 30 years later come back with the guy I started with uh, to do this project on. Do you get a block? What we started. Do you get a? Do they tell you beforehand? Listen, we're going to go two nights on this because I mean some of them obviously are an hour some of them are five hours the OJ one was like 9,000 hours I mean obviously it's all different right yeah this one um, coming off OJ they they were looking for something that they could expand into a a series that something that was big enough to expand into a series and of course it's not the same kind of thing as OJ which is right right you know totally uh, different uh, but this is more red meat for ESPN's audience, but also had ramifications of you know social and cultural beyond the games themselves. So they felt it was worthy of a multi-part uh, a multi-part event, and and they they had decided um, to do four hours, and then a couple of months ago we decided to up it to five. But from the very beginning, Connor Shell. Who runs uh, ran at ESPN Films now runs a lot more than that. He he was saying, "You guys go as long as you need, take as much airtime as you want." You know, it's interesting. You mentioned OJ, so you know I'm in Boston. I grew up here. I grew up a, a huge Celtics fan. I grew up in the '80s, so I season tickets to the Garden with my dad. So this is for me, you know, right down the middle. So I, I have to admit, given the the relationship with me and ESPN, the station with ESPN. Uh, I liked a lot of the documentary. Not a big fan of the first hour, so I don't know if it's necessary. And maybe, and, and you can defend it, and we can may disagree. It might be different from somebody who lives in Seattle or somebody who lives in the Middle America or something. But I don't know if I need you know an hour on racial history in L.A. and Boston when I get in the Celtics Lakers uh, documentary. I feel like I've been there already. 
Well, maybe you have, but uh, I think a lot of people, particularly younger people, who are a very, very big part of the audience, I mean, mm-hmm. m- much if not most of the audience that watches this show was not even born in 1987 or certainly not aware of what was what was going on in 1987, let alone 1967. Mm-hmm. And because the rivalry, uh, when it began was so tied in with the racial aspect of it, the white versus black of it, on a gut level, if not a basketball level. Uh, it was... Um, right, because it wasn't it tied... Was really it wasn't important it wasn't, to understand where that right. was coming from. But it wasn't white, like you said, it's not white versus black on the actual court itself in the 60s, obviously. No, but the fans were were largely white versus black. You think the and fans in the fans in in uh, do you have any way of knowing that? Yeah, I mean we have we have all the contemporary uh newspaper accounts. We had a fan from Boston saying I don't want to come to a game and see all black players. You have one you said you had a fan who said that? Yeah. So one fan said that, and you you think that that that's the basis for no? There's that article after article. I think it's it's that the NBA was was sinking because uh, there were too many black players, and you can't sell a quote black sport to a white public. And this was, you know, the demise of the NBA in the in the seventies. And this is, you know, uh, and you. Bob Ryan himself says, you know, you can't, when, when the Celtics started selling out in the 70s with Havlicek and Cowens after not selling out throughout the 60s, uh, he said you can't, you know, factor out race. Right, I saw, no, I, no, I, saw, yeah, I saw the quote in the movie, but I would say this. And this is where I think you guys. So, did. are you dismissing Bob, what Bob Ryan says? No, I know you can. No, You're I know, entitled no, to disagree I know, with him. I know Bob very well. I think there's something to be said for that. But I would say this because I saw you guys talk about the hockey attendance versus the basketball attendance. You do realize the Celtics attendance was higher than the league average every year in the '60s, right? And uh, every city that had both an NHL and NBA franchise, the NHL franchise in every single city had higher attendance than the NBA. I mean, that's not mentioned at all in the documentary. You say, well, they had Bobby Orr and the Celtics had Bill Russell, so Boston's racist. But in fact, every city is consistent like that. And in fact, in the 70s, in the NBA, the average attendance goes up from the 60s everywhere. So it's not just the Boston racial thing. So you, I think you guys kind of blow through that. I think how, it, how, how, many, how many cities had NHL and NBA teams in the 60s? Uh, Chicago. Yes, New Boston, York. Boston. New York. Period. Uh, am I forgetting one more? No. Boston, Chicago, New York. Not Philly at that point, right? No. So, yes, all three of those had went up. Yes, so all three of them were the same. I mean, so does that mean that, that Chicago well, and New the, York? Well, the Bulls, I don't even think the Bulls had a team till 67. Did, well, I, right, Detroit. The, the Knicks were the worst team in the league, mm-hmm. and the Celtics were the best team in the league. And, right, and their attendance was significantly higher. In, in, in 67, their, their attendance was 50% higher than the average NBA attendance that year. I have it right here. I have the attendance right in front of me. Yeah, okay. 
So, so you say race had nothing to no, no, do no, no, with no, 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 don't Bill do that, Russell's don't do that, don't, no, don't do that. See what you're doing. Don't, don't do, do what? I'm don't, not doing anything. You just said I'm race saying, had. You just said race had nothing. I didn't say that at all. Absolutely. So what not. are you saying? Somebody so spread shit all over saying. Bill Russell's house, which is disgusting. It makes yes, me sick. One I, person did that. So absolutely. that's not the city's fault. No, of course it's not. The, well, do you think it's Boston's fault that guy? One person did that. No. Right. That's what I'm saying. That guy's a creep, and I wish they'd found him and. You know, throw him in jail for the rest of his life. I would have been fine with that. But I do think, and I, I'm totally copying Jonathan, the fact that I'm oversensitive because of so much that's been going on the last few months around here. I do get, it gets, it gets me up a little bit. But that does... Were, fr- was, were, were people wrong to object loudly to what the fans said to Adam Jones? Well, I don't think, I don't think anybody said anything to Adam Jones. Oh, okay. So, so okay. So that was, that was untrue. What was Well, there's no, there's no video proof. No one around, Adam Jones said it. No one else said it. No one around him. No one heard it. Nobody else but Adam Jones. I think Adam Jones was frustrated and said it and got upset. So I, 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 was, I was, was there not a fan? I, I, I didn't follow it too closely, but was there not a fan who was banned for life from Fenway? Uh, we think there was a fan who was banned for life from Fenway. Let me just—I'll I'll ask you that before we get back to the documentary. And you know, I'm sure you came on here probably thought you were going to talk about you know AC Green and uh, you know Jerry Seesting, but we'll get to those guys in a second. But when so the fan was kicked out when a when a person in the stands claims he heard him. He, he leaned over and said something to him about his son who's biracial. Now, the guy who said this is a freelancer for The Globe has written stories about his biracial son for Yahoo. It just seems to me to be a large coincidence. Now, again, do I, do I think there's people who say N, the N-word at Fenway Park? I sure do. I'm sure it happens. If they, they should kick the guy out for life. But I think it happens equally in Cleveland, in Seattle. And that, that's where I get frustrated. Is I think this, Boston gets tagged with this thing. And it does. If somebody who's lived here my whole life, it kind of pisses me off. And when you Well— when, I, I I don't mean to cut you off. I understand that, and I appreciate that, and you have a right to be. I think there are a couple of things that I'd like to say about the film. Yeah, go get ahead. back to the film. Bill Russell, when he had his number retired, yep, insisted that no fans, right, no fans be present. Yeah. Right now. I don't think that's because one guy. Oh no, I agree. I agree. With okay, you. Yeah, so, no, so let's let's not say that. If no, one guy, no, you initially says you initially said one guy. You initially said one guy. I agree. I agree with you. No, well, I'm, I do was I, beginning right. to list all yeah, yeah, the yeah. evidence. Do I think okay. Bill Russell in the fifties and sixties heard uh, a lot of stuff? Yes, abs- I absolutely believe that a hundred percent. Okay, now in our film, we have Ted Landsmark, who's the man who's about to be stabbed with the American flag in yep. that famous yep. Yep. Horrible picture yeah. photograph. Yep. And Ted Landsmark in our film which I'm sure you, you would like to talk about, became a season ticket holder when the Celtics got Larry Bird. Mm-hmm. And friends of his said, you know, why do you write, root for them? They're a white team. And he said, no, they're not a white team. The Celtics are a model of successful integration. They have a black coach. They have great black players, Robert Parrish, Dennis Johnson, uh, they are, as in his words, iconographic and, of white people and black people working together. And, and let me, sorry to interrupt you for one second. You do do a good job of mentioning, you know, like you said, how much Auerbach did, drafted the first black player, first black starting five, first black head coach. So, I mean, there's, you know, there, there, there's that. But I, I guess my question is, when, I, when, you, when you say, you know, and you had, you had a couple of guys talk about it, that. You know, they didn't like fans didn't like it when the black guys were here, but when the white guys came in, 
you know, people started flowing in. You have to be fair that that was going on in other cities as well. That's not acknowledged at all. It's this idea that Boston does it independently. I don't think, personally, I thought that was sort of unfair. Well, I think if you uh, want to celebrate the Celtics as the fan, as the film does for being a team that not just throughout the '60s but also throughout the '80s mm-hmm. represented what white people and black people can do together when they do their jobs and and treat each other with respect, as Bill Russell said when he took over the job in uh, from from Red. Yep. Uh, that it was just about respect. Uh, that's what the film says. And if you if you want to realize what an accomplishment that was in Boston, of all places, then because Boston had a very violent and uh, not unique, but I would say, particularly when you, but, loud. But when you say of all places, I mean, was, was the racial scene in Boston any worse than L.A.? You referenced the O.J. documentary. I mean, it, it wasn't. Yeah, right? and we show. We, no, no, I know Ice that. Cube no, I, in the documentary I know that. says we had it too. Right. No, I know and that. But when you say of all places, that's suggesting it's sort of, of this the volume of and the reputation where Bob McAdoo says black players didn't want to play in Boston because of that photograph. Right because it, it reminded them of Alabama and Mississippi in the 60s. To see that photograph, black players didn't want to come to Boston. Now, that in that city, on that team, that the black players didn't want to come to because of that photograph, and you can argue the justice of their opinion, but that's, that's the feeling that was in the league. And among the players, and for that city to be for that team in that city of all cities to become a paragon of an integrated, you know, beautiful team to watch is a great accomplishment, and it's a greater accomplishment than if it had happened in Detroit or Cleveland or or you know Sacramento where. The history wasn't as front-page national news flashpoint for a problem that certainly was happening all over America. I always wonder about the process when you make this documentary, when you reach out to people. When you go in and do this, you agree to do this. Do you, if you get a no from a Magic Johnson or a Larry Bird, do you just say, we're fucked, we can't do this, or do you soldier on? Well, you don't. you don't say you have to soldier on right um was there a chance was there anyone because it seems that i could be wrong it seems like there's less bird in it than other stars was the bird give you less time well you know larry doesn't love the interview process <laughs> right, this is right. not what he's interested in really doing with his time anymore mm-hmm. uh you know um larry would just as soon not talk about any of this anymore and just you know enjoy the the memories uh privately um you know james worthy cedric maxwell ml Carr, magic uh you know cooper kevin McHale, danny ainge i mean these guys yeah it seemed like it, it seemed like it was, it was talking yeah, about was it, it didn't seem like it was tough to get ml Carr on the record for this <laughs> yeah it seemed like he was... ML, ml and cedric uh right were were uh you know we 
were eager to stay in the chair for as long as we had questions for him. But, you know, um, Gerald Henderson was another one who was, who was great and, and uh, a really good interview. But um, in the sense of enjoying the experience of sharing his thoughts and memories and being present, and it's just something that Larry is not that into. And, and so his his comments, his answers, his statements tend to be short and they tend to be to the point. And, uh, you know, so his, his screen time tends to be less. I mean, Bill Walton, certainly we could have done, uh, two hours on, on the 86 team, just letting Bill run. Right. Um, you know, and, and, Oh, it's funny. Walton's not really, Tied in the Celtics Lakers because in the because you know the Celtics didn't play the Lakers in '86 and Walton was never the same after that you know right in the finals I mean he certainly handed it to him during the oh during yeah the season, yeah yeah both was, times yeah um, but the uh, you know Walton in terms of the identity of that team in '86 mm-hmm. and, yeah and the the way his teammates enjoyed him and and uh, the way he enjoyed being on that team and playing with those teammates uh, in that city was such a thrill of a lifetime for him that, uh, you know, and he loves talking about it. So I think different personalities give you different types of interviews. And, um, you know, uh, it's, uh, it, 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 if, if you don't get one of the big ones, um, it certainly makes your life more difficult, uh, and it and it just makes the project less interesting. I mean, to hear from some guys and not other guys when they're all in the story is is uh, you know it's harder to do. I feel like you got all the players you needed, though, right? Am I free? I feel no. We we got everybody. Yeah, everybody. Right? Talked. We we got everybody, and um, you know it's uh, you know. Like you said, some guys you get for less time than others. Some guys are just not as expensive as others. But, yeah, everybody, you know, this was really a a sweet spot for these guys because they are old enough to be away from it long enough to appreciate it in a, you know, for, for the magical thing that it was. And they're also young enough to be really energetic and, and, be able to sit in the chair for a long time and tell stories um, that, uh, uh, you know, when they get older, people tend to, you know, sometimes uh, details are harder to remember or, or uh, you know, so that we really got them in the sweet spot 30 years out from, from these glory days. And, uh, you know, that's part of why we expanded from four to five hours just because the interviews on both sides uh, were just there was just so much great stuff. What, you know, a guy who would seem to be a natural talking head in this would be Bill Simmons. Is am I right in saying that's just a no go? You would not be able to use him. Did you try and get him, and he said no? Yeah, that's that's uh, I think a no go probably from both sides. I mean, I don't think uh, I, you know, I would. Uh, Bill and I are good friends, and I did a lot of work for him at Grantland and with some short films and. Um, the earlier 30 for 30s that I did mm-hmm. with Bill and I love him and I would would not have occurred to me to ask him to be involved and I don't 
think he would have wanted to, but right. uh, you know, I we we steer clear of that uh, in in our relationship at this point. And no, Casey Jones, right? Yeah, though Casey was not um, not in uh, condition to to yeah. do a protracted interview, from what we were told. But we certainly love Casey and tried to include as much as we could. You know, Casey was a guy, and I remember from covering them when I was at NBA Entertainment in the mid-'80s. Um, you know, he was so content to allow the others to be in the spotlight, and that's a beautiful characteristic for a coach, particularly in the game of basketball where the players are so exposed and and certainly deserve all the credit that they get when credit is due them. And, um, you know, he never tried to in on the spotlight and uh, as a result he's totally beloved by everybody who played for him but there's not a whole lot of good footage of him at this point the only other criticism i would have of the documentary and by and large by the way i liked it but the other criticism i would personally have and other people probably liked it is for me i don't need donnie Wahlberg and ice cube back and forth the footage the guys talking like it's there's enough drama that i don't need ice cube saying we're up 2-0 or or Wahlberg saying, you know, we're doing this or we're doing that. It felt off for me when I'm watching the rest of it. Is that something you guys talked about? Did you like it all the way? Was that your start, your thought from the beginning when you get a celebrity from each side? Does it? Yeah, help? it was. You know, I, I think, again, that's Generation? Know, maybe partly coming from being in Boston and you don't need Donnie Wahlberg to tell you how to feel about certain things. Yeah. Um, but what we really wanted to do was to less chronicle what happened and more recreate the visceral choosing sides that was uh, the sort of national experience of it. And by locating the narrators as partisan uh, in each side, I think that gives the viewer in Chicago and the viewer in Miami and the viewer in, in Minneapolis or Cleveland, the uh, a sort of uh, an emotional insight into the the series in a way that they might not otherwise experience. Um, oh no! Good. So that that was you know that that wasn't so much for fellow Bostonians and fellow Los Angelinos. That was. Uh, you know, that was for everybody else. Explain to me, and I started, you know, really getting into them about seven or eight years ago, right about when it started. Explain to me the sort of boom of documentary films here in the last, I'm going to say 10 years. I could be wrong. It just seems like it has exploded. I know Netflix is a big reason why. But these, I mean, this has taken on sort of a life of its own here in the last 10 years or so, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, I think 30 for 30 has been huge, certainly as it relates to sports and as it relates to me. But uh, you know, I think um, there, there are a number of factors. I think the main, one of the main driving factors is the cost. Um, you know, with digital cinematography and digital editing, the cost of doing a feature-length film is so much less than it used to be. And you used to need a huge operation like NFL films where I used to work or, mm-hmm. you know, another 
kind of film company. In order to shoot documentary films, you needed a news uh, division of a network or you know something like that. And it was very rare that people would be able to raise the money to make full-length documentary. Um, and now you have a combination of a number of factors. The, the low cost of making them is huge. The, the ease of making them is huge. Uh, you have the proliferation of outlets like Netflix and also just all the cable channels. Right. Uh, and so you've got a, a hunger, a, a hunger for content coming not from the viewers but from the providers you know, who have all this air to fill. And then you have the uh, sort of mainstreaming of nonfiction programming where it's not just on PBS anymore, but, you know, uh, so-called reality TV, which is a, at least in its roots, uh, a form of nonfiction programming, or at least unscripted programming, I think is what they call it, because it is, you know, as much fiction as nonfiction. Right. But, uh, you know, I think people got used to the idea of, wow, you know, it doesn't need to be a scripted drama with actors. Like, looking at real people is pretty interesting. So I think there's a, a whole number of factors, but I think you're absolutely right that it is, um, there's been an explosion of it. And, uh, you know, I don't think anybody was giving us five hours on TV to tell <laughs> would, the basketball history ten years ago. But I would say, did you direct Survive in Advance or no? I did. Yeah, it was terrific. So Thank I would you. say, no, absolutely. So I would say, like, this is going to hurt. Uh, my theory is this is going to hurt the sports movie itself going forward. Like, if you said to me, do I want to watch Survive in Advance with all these guys sitting around that table and going back and forth? Or do, do I want to see some Disney movie with whoever, Frank, Hank Azaria playing Jim Valvano? That would just seem fake to me at this point. I feel like that's that's going to hurt it long term. I think so. I think I think. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. You, you one would think so. On the other hand, there's still a huge, less serious sports fan audience that yeah. just loves stories, and if placing a story in the world of sports becomes sort of something that's more accepted. Um, you know, it's interesting. When I made a film called uh, The Best That Never Was for yeah. ESPN. Marcus Dupree, right? Marcus Dupree, right. Yep. Um, there was interest from producers in Hollywood to turn that into a dramatic feature film with actors, right. you know, and... Um, you know, we were told at the time, and again, I, I kind of agree with you that like, well, why would you want to do that? Here's the film, you know, it's perfectly fine. Why do you need to do that? Well, there's a big audience that loves stories that's not watching 30 for 30 on ESPN. True. There may be a big audience on ESPN, but there's a big audience of, you know, everybody else in America that's, that's not that's not tuning in, but would love this story, uh, according to, you know, producers. But the, uh, the people who fund these movies that cost a lot of money, well, you know, they say they, they have to sell the foreign rights first. 
in order to fund the movie. And African-American doesn't sell well foreign. American football doesn't sell well foreign. Uh, So people weren't really, the people with the money weren't really into it. The filmmakers were into it. But, But maybe, you know, Maybe people won't want to see movies like uh, what was the uh, Texas Western movie called, or um, oh, the, with uh, Glory Road, Josh or Lucas, like that. yeah, 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 and and you know fil- films like that that Hollywoodize these great sports stories, uh, you know. But then you have a film like Fever Pitch, which is awesome, and and um, I don't know. I think I think good stories are good stories, and and there's a it's a big enough country, you know, 320 million or whatever, and and there's there's enough eyeballs to go around. So, but I, I'm with you. I, I would not run out to the theater to see the uh, Hollywoodized version of the Jim Valvano story if I've seen a documentary that was that was done well. What's the great uh, documentary you want to make that you have been able to make and are able to get access? They won't talk to you. Is there one you're still chasing or no? Not not really. Um, you know, the Marcus Dupree one was that one for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, um, you know, I'm the same age as Marcus, and, and when he was a mythical figure in high school football, you know, I'd never seen him play. There was nobody had ever seen him play except for people who saw him in person in Mississippi, and and he was this you know mythical figure. And then what he did at Oklahoma as a freshman was you know, blew our minds, and then, uh, and then he disappears. So uh, that that was really the holy grail for me in terms of well, I really want to know what happened, and I want to discover this, and I want to discover it through the process of making a film about it. Um, so, uh, so that was the one, and finding Marcus was. Uh, you know, it, it was it was a film I had pitched numerous times and couldn't get couldn't get it funded. And then when ESPN approached me for the original Thirty for Thirty series and said we want the filmmakers to come up with their own topic, something that they're passionate about, and doesn't have to be like the best right. quarterback ever or yeah. the best golfer ever. It's just whatever you want to tell. I said, well, what about the best that never was? And and that's how the Marcus Dupree story got greenlit. What's uh? What are you What are you doing right now? I am doing a short film for the Baseball Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. They have a new theater that uh, is being constructed now, and hopefully, be ready by inauguration weekend or induction weekend. And um, uh, I hope to have a, a a film about baseball ready for that. It's sort of derived out of the the film Fastball that I had done. That's uh, on Netflix uh, mm-hmm. now, but um, where it's uh, sort of a meditation on the sport, and um, it's a beautiful sport to me still, and and uh, really excited about having something that's going to show every day at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Excellent, Celtics Lakers. I'm going to guess it seems like there's a Netflix is sort of this month or two period, then it shows some show up and some don't. Is that going to show up on Netflix? Yeah, I, I hope so. I think um, most of them do. There's yeah. a you know, because this involves the NBA, and anytime something involves the NBA, there are always, uh, you know, different, uh, you know, constraints on where it can air and and uh, 
I'm not sure this will end up on Netflix. I don't know if uh, if Bad Boys is on Netflix or the the Orlando Magic one with Shaq and Shaq Penny, and Penny. Ended up on Netflix. Yeah, I don't think you know, I don't think they are. Yeah, I think I think they tend to not go to Netflix if they're NBA projects, but they may end up on NBA TV. Who knows? Hopefully, they'll reshow it a lot on. ESPN, I know it's going to be on ABC this Saturday afternoon and next Saturday afternoon. And, uh, you know, they do tend to re-air them a bunch. All right, excellent. Well, it's the Celtics-Lakers. Like I said, thanks for coming on and slugging it out over the uh, the stuff at the beginning. Oh, and, uh, ha- happy to do it. And, and Ratings are good? Everyone's happy with such care. Everyone's happy with the ratings? Yeah, I think the ratings were really good. And, um, you know, I know ESPN on a Tuesday night with without a, you know, live sports uh, right. big big no, lead in like yeah. the Heisman show or something. I think they're really thrilled with the uh with the ratings and look people love this subject. They love the Celtics and Lakers and Magic and Larry and and there's something that is you know it's uh, 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 you know pure is a funny word cuz but but there was something that was you know, Larry was just so extraordinary, and so were his teammates. And the same with Magic and his teammates. And and people just love this stuff, and it just feels real. And uh, and people were looking forward to it, and I hope I hope they enjoyed it. Did you conduct a, uh, some of these interviews yourself, or no? Some, most were Jim yeah. Jim Potteritz. Um, Who did you Jim talk to? Did the lion's share of of work. Uh, uh, regarding the interviews, I feel um, like I feel like Pat Riley himself would be a good documentary subject. He's amazing. Uh, you know, when I was embedded with the Lakers in '87, I was totally blown away by by him. He has this real magnetism, and you know, it's it it, it the, the accidental way that he became the coach of the Lakers was it's wild. This really wild, right? Um, Bike accident, and, then Magic fires uh, Westhead. It's it's just it's nuts. It's nuts, and 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 he grew into it, and and he's a great personality, and and a great story from his, you know, it's the irony of him being the glamour boy coach of the glamour boy team when he's the real blue collar uh, guy um, from upstate New York. I mean, and then you know the career he's had, and and he's still so charismatic at age seventy one. I think he'd be a great one. I think you're right. All right. Well, I appreciate it, John. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Kirk. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks again for listening to the Enough About Me podcast. Actually, you know what? I'm really not thankful at all. You should be thanking me. You get this shit every week, these great podcasts, totally free. Do me a favor. Would you go to iTunes, download it, go to Stitcher, do the same, and leave a rating, leave a review. That's where you can help me out. This podcast is going to be number one again. I guarantee it. And you're going to help me along with the process. So for that, I guess at the end, maybe I will thank you. There's a lot of thank yous going back and forth. Here's the point. Fuck you. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.